we start by describing the difference in the Chinese versus the Western consumer in purchasing luxury vehicles? But, you know, it's, um, it's a huge difference, actually. The difference is not actually between the Chinese and the Western. It's more about uh, uh, developing countries and developed countries. I think uh, China is, to many extent, part of developing country. So there are still uh, not uh, the full recognition of certain, uh, let's say, iconic brand, at least in the Western world, consider iconic brand. And so the approach to the brand uh, is a bit less uh, emphatic, I would say. So they take the brand, they use it sometime, it looks good and they keep it, tick the box, done, what's next? So there are a sort of uh, a multi-experiencing different brand. There is no historical heritage. There is no loyalty, or at least uh, there was not loyalty and there was not heritage. Now it's a bit changing, but uh, still like that, mostly. So in practical terms, what does it mean? It means that I know that to, be, to accomplish my success, I need to have a Ferrari in the garage. I buy the Ferrari, I put it in the garage, and I forget about it. And maybe next time I will buy a McLaren, and next time I will buy a, a Rolls, of course, if I can afford it. So there is no really loyalty, and we have to be able to get... That one was... The, the, the first round of purchasing was done in absolutely in that way. Now the repurchasing is the rule of the game, because when you sell your car for the first time, but could be also true for a watch or could be true for, for a yacht or for something else. I mean, when you, when you sell a, a luxury item first, an item that uh, has a, an historical brand and is very iconic in the Western world, so people worried about and uh, wanted to have it, then they bought. And uh, after that, there is the repurchase process. The repurchase process is not automatically because the, the people tend to have the whole range of iconic brands before to go back and get in love with one brand. So this is, I think, uh, the real uh, challenge. The real challenge, that is the challenge everywhere in the world, but in China particularly, is to get the loyalty of the client. So to let uh, him or her repurchase your product. So once they become a repeater, in that moment, you start to establish your loyalty and you can leverage let me say, the worldwide uh, uh, tools to, 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 to retain uh, the clients. So the, the real key issue is the repurchase. How do you approach driving repurchasing by customers? But, you know, uh, customer satisfaction with the first purchase is very important, of course. I mean, uh, the product you are selling first should be consistent with the iconic and the heritage of the brand. So this is very, very important. And it's true for everyone. I mean, if your brand, if your product at the end of the day is not consistent and is not up to the standard, the people expectation, the risk is that they will not repurchase. So it's absolutely necessary not to, to underestimate the quality that the Chinese market want to receive and the, and the ability to perceive quality from uh, this new client. In certain cases, even easier to sell to a, a well-known and repeaters, continual repeater clients because they are more eager to accept a certain imperfection. But when you sell to a very demanding 
first-time client, you need to sell to a level of perfection, a perceived one, but also actual one, that must be really up to the reputation of your brand. In that case, you have really a higher percentage, very high percentage to get it back. So this is very important. Do not underestimate the, the, the ability to evaluate quality of Chinese consumers. How is the expectation of the product and service different in China versus the West? I think there is no basically big difference, but the big difference is that being the first purchase, there is no background. So having no background, you have to regain your reputation in a way. Okay, you are a brand, they know you, you are worldwide famous, but this is the first purchase. So at the first purchase, you must be able to give it all. And this is a little different because in other countries, especially Western developed countries, but not only, also Japan is a very well developed country. So they know what they are buying and to certain extent, it's, it's, it's easier to satisfy the level because they, they know that they are buying a set of values behind the brands. So the moment they buy the brands, they're buying much more than the product they're buying. They're buying a status as well. In China, they're buying a status, but the consistency and the quality of the product must be up to standard. And this, sorry if I underline, but uh, for us, this is a big uh, challenge and we are doing uh, uh, regularly because we are selling products, excellent cars. But at the end of the day, sometime even a small, you know, a scratch on the bumpers or that happened during the transportation and nobody actually noticed or a small problem in a sewing, in a, in a, in a I mean, very few things that maybe a very few small defect that uh, if, if you have it in Milan, they will go back and say, oh, come on, I have my defect. And they're, okay, sorry, I will repair it. I will adjust it in a minute. In China, risk to damage your reputation in a much larger emphasis. So it, it will be the net effect of a small defect that in life happened is amplified in China because it's the first purchase and they are waiting and they are, and they are looking for perfection. So perfection sometimes is not possible. So you must be perfect when you approach a new market. You must be really perfect. And this is a challenge for everybody. Eh? You mentioned how Japan is, is actually a well-developed country and obviously Europe and the US. Is that because of the, obviously the culture and the heritage and the values of Ferrari are well-known, but also because the consumer watches or knows for F1 and where the China is a younger demographic? Or what is the reason where... No, the reason is simply the exposure, the exposure of your product to the market. I mean, China opened up in 79 and uh, uh, we, we entered China late 80s, early 90s. So we have an experience of less than 30 years in China, while in Japan we entered first more than 60 years ago. So it's mainly a matter of time and a matter of exposure to of, the, of the Chinese consumer to all the Western values and uh, iconic brand. This is uh, it's not because of ethnicity. Chinese living in Europe or living in, in, in the U.S. will have the same approach to the brand than an Italian or an American. It's a matter of the people living in this country that for a few decades has been isolated from the rest of the world. And so the experiencing of the brand, the experiencing of the background behind the brand is, is, uh, is, is limited in time, mostly.
And, and do you see any major differences in, in the vehicles they prefer, the type of vehicle or the willingness to customize or personalize the vehicles more than the West? But look, uh, here I go back again to, to the difference between uh, uh, well-developed and developing country. Uh, when you are in a developing country, and this is true for other markets, not only China, Southeast Asia, India, and other areas, uh, Russia, when you buy a Ferrari, you want the typical iconic Ferrari. So it must be a sports car, mostly red, and I would say highly recognizable as a Ferrari. Okay, so it must be the Ferrari. This is particularly true in these countries. And uh, in, in other countries, uh, now there are a lot of diversification. We have quite a broad range. We have five, six different models, even more sometimes. It depends uh, on, on the special series. But at the end of the day, we have the GT car. Uh, we have the sports car, extreme sports, sports car. So let me say that the main difference is that in China, broadly speaking, and then we have a very sophisticated client also in China, but let's say as, as, as a perception of the overall market, the Ferrari is red and then this very typical sport, sports car. So they are, in, to a certain extent, they are less sophisticated in choosing the model and they have less request for segmentation. And if I put on my side, from a producer and selling point of view, it's more difficult to explain the segmentation of the different cars. They, they, they tend to perceive the Ferrari as a typical Ferrari. So when, I, when I'm going to, to propose a GT that is maybe more drivable, less flashy, with a different color, mostly they tend to say, yes, okay, but this is not really a Ferrari. No, it is. The only difference is that it's not the typical Ferrari that uh, you see on 100 movies. So it's, uh, it's a bit different the approach in terms of segmentation. So let's talk about the customer experience for the first purchase that you mentioned is so crucial. It has to be consistent. It has to be very high quality. How do you think about curating the buying experience from start to finish? Can you walk me through how that works? If I want to buy a Ferrari in China, what do I do? I, do, I, do I go direct to Ferrari? Do I go to a dealership? What, how, do you know, how do you curate that experience? But the experience uh, is, uh, I mean, is a journey because, uh, first of all, you, you identify the car. We have good coverage. All the main city of a dealership. And then the workshop and the, and the after sales is much broader coverage. But they say that we, we, we have a strategy only focus on the flagship stores in a flagship city. Let me put it in this way. So we actually bring the client within the Ferrari family. As soon as they, they come into the dealership, they have to feel an experience. They have to feel the corporate identity. Basically, once they enter, when they enter the, uh, the dealership, they are already inside the Ferrari world. And uh, the CI is uh, the corporate identity of the shops, the the way we decorate the shop, the color we choose, and all uh, the touch point inside uh, the showroom are the same all over the world. So basically the experience when you enter first, it should be at least, uh, but it is at least in China, uh, similar to any other showroom in the world. So then once inside, 
uh, you, you have to feel uh, the luxury from one side, but also the exclusivity. Because honestly with you, our product should be considered very exclusive because in the world we are selling just all in all 10,000 cars. So when you sell 10,000 cars, you are, you know, there are very few cars around. Even, even if you consider that a Ferrari never actually died and we never deregister a car, this is a very unique situation for our brand. And somebody buy a Ferrari and then you keep it forever. Or it will sell to someone that we will keep it forever, or this one will send to somebody else that we keep it forever. But at the end of the day, no one actually deregister and smash a car into, it's never a piece of metal for us. It's always a nice car to drive. So, sorry for this, but uh, it's, it's worth to say. Um, so you enter, the, you enter the showroom and then you immediately have to fill, normally to fill the Ferrari world, we have normally a certain requirement for our dealership and uh, you have to expose the, the, the all existing, uh, the whole range in production at that time. So when you enter, you have uh, the full range available and uh, the, the, the person will drive you around the, the showroom to explain different cars and to explain all the different kind of uh, performance and uh, potential personalization you can have in the car. We have an area of the showroom dedicated to personalization with a nice uh, sofa and uh, all, the, all the samples that you can choose, color, virtual personalization. So it's quite an experience actually. And uh, I would say that if you come in with a precise idea of which car you want, uh, it's easy because you come in, you say, look, I'm very well prepared clients, maybe a repeater, and I know what I want. But uh, the best solution is when you don't know what you want and, uh, and we drive you through the overall experience and uh, we build up your uh, awareness of the, of the brand and uh, we build up your, uh, your demand. So I, I think uh, this is, uh, to be honest, quite common in uh, the luxury business in overall, no matter car, no matter watches. I mean, you... You need to, to accompany your, your, your clients in the, in, the, in the journey, and everyone has his own journey. I mean, the process and the model is the same, but then everyone has his own journey. And then you drive it through, through, the, different, uh, through the different aspects. Then let's assume that you decide the model, then um, you want it to personalize. We have different grade of personalization. You can go through choosing simply the color of the car, or, or the color of the interior to uh, decide and build up your own color. I mean, we have hundreds of colors, but you can up even decide which, which color you want, even if it's outside our uh, enormous amount of, of colors that we have for both interior and for everything, for every single component. And you can go up, 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 up to uh, what we call uh, uh, one-off, that you build up your own car. Of course, we very few limitations, that is mostly the chassis. But once you have the chassis, then you can build up your own car. So you can understand this is not very common, to be honest, because you need to be quite, uh, to say, affluent to do that. <laughs> but uh, it's an experience. So you can personalize your car from simply choosing a color to go up, 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 up to the maximum level of uh, personalization that is the one-off car. So... 
this is, uh, say, choosing the product part. Then, once you choose your product, you will have what we call a contact plan because normally you, you have to wait to have a Ferrari. This is uh, typical. Not because we want to have a waiting list, but because the capacity is relatively limited. And as I said, the 10,000 cars and the demand is much higher than the capacity. So simply, there is this lag and you have to wait. So, of course, there are different waiting lists for different models. can go from a minimum of 12 months to a maximum of 36. Could happen. You have to wait three years for your car. And so, from the moment you place the order to the moment you receive your car, there is what we call a contact plan. Contact plan that is very interesting because there are several things inside. I don't want to bother you with detail, but basically what happened, you take the end of your clients and the day you place the order uh, after finishing the personalization, and then uh, you keep in touch with him, showing him where is your car and which level of accomplishment that your car has done. You send some model of the car. There is uh, We have a, a cooperation with... Uh, uh, very nice uh, modeling uh, uh, company that is called Amalgam. It is British, I think. And um, we, have, we have an agreement with them. And uh, at a certain moment of the contact plan, they build up a similar model, extremely detailed, of the car that you're going to receive later on. So, for example, if it's a FA Tributo, you will, and it's yellow with a brown interior, you will receive a yellow F8 with brown interior and exactly the same configuration of the car that you will see a few months later. And then we have several other uh, things inside the, the contact plan that change a bit on the culture, on the countries, but roughly we keep you updated about where your car is and how long you need, still you need to receive it. And then there is the Delivery of the car. The delivery of the car is a ceremony. We have a ceremony inside the showroom. There is an area dedicated to the delivery. And you receive your car with uh, certain uh, additional uh, things that uh, is, uh, is uh, the certificate of the car and a few things. But we emphasize a lot this part because we believe uh, it was always like that, but it is also, also now is like this. When you buy a Ferrari, especially if it's the first one, you have a sense of accomplishment because, I mean, <laughs> if you are, I don't know, a banker, you make a big deal and they buy the Ferrari. If you are an entrepreneur and you, 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 you did a big, uh, big business and you buy the Ferrari or you are an actor or a, or a football player and you, reach, uh, you sign up the big contract and you buy the Ferrari. So there is always an accomplishment behind the purchasing of this car. And so we, since ever, we celebrate this moment. And then the moment you, you have the car, sorry, if it's long, but quite, it's quite a story. So the moment you become an owner, then you enter uh, the club of the Ferraristi. In the past, it was less built up. Now, it's, it's, with the digitalization of the society, it's becoming more and more easier. We have one or even two, if I remember, but let's say one is dedicated to the clients. We have one uh, app uh, where you subscribe and then you become part of the family. So whatever event we will have in the future in your area or 
in any other area in the world that you would like to join, like a cavalcade or like a, a, a reunion or like whatever. There are plenty of things inside. You can join the Ferrari Owner Club that is organizing a social events, social gathering, and many other things. I mean, many, many things. But the club, uh, becoming part of the family is an essential part of the post-delivery uh, uh, experience. So coming back to your question, the journey starts when you enter the showroom and you actually buy the car, but then it will never finish in the years to come till you have the ownership of the car. And the more you develop your passion, so more car you buy, the more you enter into a, a more and more selected, say, area of clients that uh, you can assess to, to new models, special models. For example, if we launch a special model, normally we have certain criteria to allocate the car. The car are not on the market. You don't come with the money, you buy and you go. You need to have certain criteria. Every time is different. But normally, we tend to deliver or to allocate special series car, limited edition, to collector. So it's a complex way to say that you enter the family, and if you like it, because it happens sometimes that they don't like to stay in, but very few, you become a member of a global club with uh, several uh, local branches, as we put it in this way, and you become part of a family. So it's really we treat the clients one by one. This is uh, an effort. We have around, uh, if I remember well, uh, not a huge amount of... Are they very active on, on, on the app and the club? Is it active society? Are they communicating much or is it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like every club, you have uh, a part that is very active, a part that is more silent. But in general, the Ferrari owner club and the, the Ferrari owner family is, uh, uh, is very active. It's very, very hard. It's also a way to, to enter certain society to a certain extent. I mean, as a matter of fact, to, to, to afford a Ferrari, you need to be affluent, as I said before. You need to be successful in a way, in a way or another, either, either because you're an artist or because you're an entrepreneur, banker. But in your own field, you, you, you must be of success. So it's, uh, it's a sort of... Uh, uh, you know, exclusive club. What part of the process do you think drives the most exclusivity? Do you think it's that club part at the end where they get accepted into the club or what part of the showroom experience or the buying experience? It's definitely the product. The product uh, is uh, the generator of exclusivity. So when you drive a Ferrari, you drive a Ferrari. And then it's where everything's starting from. Then all the rest, of course, are many bricks that we put together to keep together the overall uh, experience. But uh, everything, everything starts from the product. The product to drive a Ferrari is uh, a unique experience. In fact, uh, honestly speaking, for us, uh, the main difficulties in finding new prospects, in finding new clients, is to identify people and let them sit on the car. We have a retention rate over, or better, a penetration, I call it, there are many ways to call it. But let's say if we put 10 people 
sitting and driving a car, the right people, of course, you can be sure that between three to five will buy the car. Because the experience related to driving this car is very unique. So I think, uh, honestly speaking, everything is starting from the car and from the product and the experience and the, and, uh, you know, the exclusivity is coming from there. A Ferrari is an exclusive product by definition. And, and to tell you frankly, many, many people come to us and say, oh, come on, because other brands, honestly speaking, they choose a different way. They decide to reduce the entry level and, and, and they actually uh, leverage a lot on the brand, some German, for example. <laughs> And they used to, to be very exclusive in the past. And then step by step, uh, with introduction of uh, more affordable models, and they, uh, you know, they, they leverage the brand to sell a lot, a lot of cars. And this is not our idea. We believe that uh, when you buy a Ferrari, I repeat the concept, you will be in an exclusive uh, position for the rest of the life of the car. So the protection of the uh, residual value of the car is one of our mission. When somebody buy a Ferrari, he should be reassured that his car, it will never become a piece of metal, ever. So the protection of the residual value, the pre-owned uh, market, uh, we are, uh, for us, is, is a priority. As the founder of the company always say, and I wanted to repeat it because it's very uh, it's clearly explained the philosophy of the company that is still there. We should always sell one car less than the demand. We will never sell one car more than the demand. So you will never find a Ferrari dealers or a Ferrari managers like myself in pushing. We never push. Ever. So for us... Uh, the most important thing is to have always the correct amount of car in the market. Even if we can sell more, we retain from selling because we have to protect the exclusivity of our clients, no matter they buy a new Ferrari or a pre-owned Ferrari. This is a, a, a key of the business model, but it's a philosophy more than a business model. Then it, it become a business model later on because the people uh, look into our philosophy and uh, transform it into a so-called business model. But the philosophy, the passion behind is the car is unique. When you buy it, you make an investment for life. And this is uh, important. How do you deal with the challenge of finding new customers and, and putting those 10 people on the, in, in the seat of the car? What approaches do you have to, to finding those people? Well, let's say that uh, having such a powerful product, when we launch a new model, I would say, depends on the model actually, but I would say between 30 to 50% of clients are repeaters. So normally who purchased the car in the past will really purchase it again and again and again. Sometimes keep it at them all, sometimes simply, simply sell the old and buy the new. So the relative number of repeaters is very high. So this protects us against a big surprise. Then, of course, especially 
launching and opening uh, our uh, brand to new segment. We recently, I would say recently, but it's already more than 10 years, we entered the GT segment, like it used to be 50, 60 years ago in Ferrari. Ferrari uh, was, was since the beginning producing GT, but then became famous for sports car. But uh, with the launch of uh, California, that was the coming back to Ferrari, of Ferrari in, the, in the GT market, of course, we enlarge a bit the potential clients. So there were a lot of new clients to Ferrari. How do we get it? But, you know, several marketing ways to collect prospects. But at the end of the day, the key issue is to have people sitting on the car and have a test drive. This is the real selling point. Because no matter how beautiful is the car, no matter how the level of personalization, color, and so on and so forth, you can put in the car, the real difference is always the driving. The, the driving experience is what makes a Ferrari completely unique. And uh, it's not, uh, I mean, I also aesthetically love the cars, and someone more, someone less. But I can tell you, you can have, you can choose color with the, with the competitors. They have uh, also, they, also they have hundreds of colors. Also they have uh, personalization. Uh, there are, I mean, it's not that it's not too many competitors in our uh, in our segment. But at the end of the day, we have five, six, seven what we consider our competitor, and they are all uh, uh, they are all good cars. Of course, they're very good cars. But our car is uh, unique in the driving experience. There was one of my previous CEO that I love it because he always say that is that when you buy a German car, you buy most probably a perfect car. But at the end of the day, it's like you buy a perfect refrigerator. It's perfect, fantastic, but it's cold. When you buy a Ferrari, maybe sometimes we are not perfect, as I said before. Maybe sometimes we have small problems or we have, you know, uh, some uh, very little issues, but you are buying a passion. You are buying something that you sit on the car, oh my God, you feel the difference on the, on the engine, on the soundtrack, on many things. I mean, we, when we design and we build engine, I'll give you a small example. We are not only thinking about the power, whatever, everything. I mean, one to 200, one to 100. Uh, that, that's, that's the parameter that, of course, then is the selling point. But for us, it's absolutely important, the soundtrack. One of the engineering ones told me that the engine was perfect, but it didn't have the right sound. So, sorry, we don't want it. And they have to redesign the engine because it didn't have the right sound. So the sound of the car is an integral part of the experience when you drive and uh, when you sit on the car and overall you have uh, the driving experience including the soundtrack you get in love with it i think that uh, we have one of the highest uh, conversion rate uh, in in the industry so you you, you, you drive it <laughs> you want yeah, it yeah exactly so i mean how do you manage a team that has to deliver such a high and unique experience to the customer. What are the what what, are the, what do you tell your team, and how do you manage your team to deliver that such experience? But you know, I don't want to simplify or to make it too easy. But again, 
And this is uh, really the technology uh, that we have in our products. This is a Formula One. This is the Formula One advantage. I mean, we, we are experiencing new technology every single Sunday in every single track in the world. Because you, you think, always think about Formula One, but then there are tens, hundreds of different competitions where we are in. And we continuously develop and experience new technology and uh, we transfer to the commercial production because at the end of the day, for us, uh, uh, we, we are in the same building, you know, not exactly in the same building, but one in front of the other. So it's really the same people. You go to eat at the, at the canteen and you sit uh, together with the guy that's developing the F1. And, uh, you know, it's just an example, but uh, to tell you, it's, it's the same thing. So the ability of Ferrari to translate into commercial technology, the extreme technology you experiment every time in, in, the, in the racing, especially Formula One. And just for a note, uh, there was not one race, one single race in Formula One without the presence of an official Ferrari, ever. So Ferrari is the core, the heart of Formula One together with some other teams, but we are the core. So we leverage that experience, not only for the brand awareness, not only for the obvious thing, but specifically and especially to transfer technology to the commercial production. So to be on the edge of the technology, together with a long experience in managing the aesthetic aspect of the car, we never compromise on performance. And so, answering to your question is easy to the for the people selling Ferrari because at the end of the day, really they have just to let the, the customer sit on the car and drive it. Of course, be the right client because my mother, for example, will never sit in a Ferrari, will crash just after the, the meters. But to, to tell you an example, if someone is able to drive the car and have a test drive and is going... Uh, uh, to, to, to really try the car, our conversion rate is amazing. The job of our people in the dealership is to identify the right person to take and drive the car. So to identify the right uh, person to drive the car. But then it's an easy job. Can I go back to the point you made on Ferrari will always sell one car less than the demand and really to maintain that brand equity. Yes. How do you deal with that as a manager to not push your team and to be willing to, to really stay true to that and, and you know, keep the waiting list long, not pull demand forward and, and, and drive production? How do you deal with that and how does the culture deal with that? But to me, this is, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, I mean, I understand the nature of the question because uh, people tend to say, okay, I send more to have more profit and so on and so forth. But this is not our, uh, our business. The target of our sales people is generating orders. It's not generating sales. The sales will come one year later. The actual sales, invoice, sales, PL, profit. So the order I'm doing now is. Uh, 2021 best case PL. So it's, it's, it's now I'm, I'm, I'm delivering cars that has been sold uh, between 12 to 
24 months ago. So at the end of the day, I'm not influencing particularly. I mean, yes, we cost something, but my, my PNL is influenced by two years ago sales. So, so it's a uh, it's a different thing. So the, 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 our 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 people knows that the key issue for us is to let the client understanding the product and uh, keep the so explain very well the content and uh, keep uh, the level of uh, uh, desire very high i mean the, the rule of the game is to have the desire for the car this is what the good sales people of ferrari should do you think there's a risk now Ferrari is a public company to be tempted to or pressured to pull demand forward and reduce the waiting list. Now they have shareholders or other people to, to meet expectations. I don't think so. On the other end, on the contrary, the, uh, the company you can go and check on the, on the, as, as an extremely high, better, not high, could be higher, but it's very, it's very good, uh, very good performance. And, uh, our business model proved to be consistent with the request of the shareholder. I mean, honestly, I don't know, but uh, uh, to, to so far, and it's already several years that we are listed, the company is very consistent with the business model, the philosophy uh, to sell one car less of the demand or even more never changed. Nobody even considered it. So it's, it's, um, it's a different thing. Look, it's not, we are not the only one Maybe in the industry, yes, but we are not the only one in the world to suffer with this. There are uh, industry watches, industry sometimes following the same, certain brands are following the same, but even in, in, in the leather, in the leather uh, bag, leather bag for women. I mean, there are several brands that follow this philosophy. It's not, it's not uh, something uh, unique. What does brand equity mean to you? Uh, brand equity, uh, what they mean to me, what they mean to everyone, but uh, to me, the fact of, uh, uh, part of the definition, uh, to us, uh, uh, for an Italian especially, I can tell you the truth, working for, for Ferrari is a uh, very special experience. And when you, I mean, uh, you are like, uh, I don't know if you like football, but <laughs> when, when you, it's like you are, uh, how to say, the coach, of your favorite football team. So you, mm, you are part of your passion. You're working, for, uh, you, you, you're working for your football team. I mean, it's, it's, you combine your, your, your favorite uh, hobby, passion, with, uh, with your job. It's something very unique, actually. And uh, it's not only for Italian, actually, but, but specifically for Italian, it's something very, very unique, I think. Sometimes, in my previous experience in different countries, not China, I felt like I was the ambassador. <laughs> I could have uh, access to just being a Ferrari representative. I could have, could have access to to certain profiles and person that I could never do it if not if not in Ferrari. So it's really it's really I don't know. It's, it's difficult to explain. How would you explain the? this family feel of, of Ferrari? And you mentioned how everyone's a, 
Maranello and you said you can eat next to the Formula One guys or the engineers. How would you explain the feel of the business and, and what it's like working there and the culture? Uh, you know, strange to say, but from that, art, from that part of Italy, I'm not from that, art, from that part, I'm from Milan, but in, in Emilia, it was uh, most of the brand in the car, let's say sports car, come from there. Lamborghini is fixed there. 50 kilometers away, Bugatti was there, uh, Ducati is there. So there is a special, uh, there is a special feeling in that area uh, between the people and the, and the, and the population and uh, the car business, especially the racing car. So there are uh, many passionate people in building up uh, engines. So there are many, many components of this. For sure, there is this cultural aspect, there is the regional aspect, there is the fact that Ferrari represents uh, at the beginning together with Alfa Romeo, but recently alone Italy in all the competition. You know where the colors come from, right? You know that the, how they, in the, in the early stage, when they, they decide to compete, every nation receives a different color. So Italy received the red color, that was mainly for Ferrari. And then British uh, England received the green colors. And uh, France received the blue color. And uh, Germany received the gray color. So it was a sort of uh, second flag for the major competitors during the racing period. I mean, in the early stage, during the 50s and so on. And so the company with all the components, became a sort of uh, national champion. It was a national champion, actually. And uh, representing uh, the country in competition, like uh, uh, the, 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 the national team in, in the World League, in the World Cup. So these things all combined together bring up to this, uh, to this uh, sense of belonging or being part of, uh, of the team. So when you are there, no matter you are 1,000, 3,000, 4,000, you are part of the team. And this, I think, is, uh, is, the, is the combination of many factors. And uh, I, will not, I will not disconsider the fact that it's coming from that area of Italy. It's very famous worldwide to be uh, the area where most of the brand, uh, I mentioned three, but maybe for sure I forgot some. As a leader, how do you think about fostering or encouraging this Ferrari culture in China? This is already, we are there since long. So I think that uh, we already did many good things. We are continuing our uh, uh, penetration in the, in the awareness. Of course, Formula One helps a lot. It's a matter of fact that uh, to have a, a Grand Prix in China since uh, uh, now is 15 years. It helps a lot to let the people knowing our brand, to knowing our heritage, and uh, help us to uh, to have space on on media. And uh, so, is um, you know we we do not we, you you we are not in a rush. That's our advantage. We are not in a rush. We don't need to push. This is a philosophy that it works also. It works for everything. We don't need to be too much pushy, we have time. I mean, uh, I don't want to look like uh, I don't care about the result and I'm not motivated enough. For us, uh, 
of course, uh, financial result uh, is are very important, and uh, and we are working, as you said before, to satisfy our stakeholder, no matter shareholder or not. But at the end of the day, the philosophy is make your client happy and be sure that you deliver the right value up to the expectation of the clients. If you work like that, you work with a medium long-term perspective and maybe you don't get 100% of the profit that you can get if you use a short-term approach, but you contribute to make your, you said before, equity, equity value, brand value, you, you build up more and more your brand value and your equity value because uh, we believe that that is the real value of the company. It will be easier to come along, uh, I would say, something that, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if you put it on the first page, they will fire me. But it, it will be easy to come along with a very low price Ferrari of, say, half price of today and sell thousand and thousand on car. And then what? And then in five years' time, you are just another brand. You are no longer the most dream car in the world. You are one of the many. That's not our target. We have to protect our uniqueness, our exclusivity to the end. As I said before, for me, the key point that sometimes this is true, it's not easy to let... Uh, uh, the, the Chinese consumer aware of it. When you buy a Ferrari, you buy it for the rest of your life. You are not buying a car for the next three, five, eight years. You buy it and you will always be a Ferrari driver, a Ferrarist, no matter what. But, but, but what do you think it is about the, about the, the philosophy of, we don't need to rush. We just don't really need to rush. We don't need to push. We, you know, we, is it the, is it the Italian roots? Is it the is it the founder? Is it the is it the what what is it really that? Because it's quite unique in the sense that, you know, it's not always pushing full full throttle. But you know, honestly speaking, also many other brands, not Italian, are doing the same. Louis Vuitton. Yeah, is, is that, um, if if I use an if I use a, a personal, I mean, if you look at the at the fashion industry, there are brands that open tens, hundreds of uh, of showrooms around the world, and there are brands uh, that uh, uh, keep a, a limited number of uh, showrooms and they have much more exclusivity, and you have a waiting list to take a bag. So, on this, I would say. Business model-wise, we are not completely unique. But uh, so uh, here is a matter of, uh, of uh, exclusivity. I mean, if you, if you push, there is a trade-off. If you push, you lose the exclusivity. And the exclusivity is giving the value to your company. So you, this balance is, uh, I'm not playing the game of being, you know, uh, totally uh, outside the, the economic dynamics we are in and we have to deliver good economic results, satisfactory for all the people involved. But we will never sell one car more than demand because if you do that, the result is that you reduce your 
let me put, you want to you wanna hear, let me say, financial KPI. You reduce your profitability because you, in order to push in, you have to give in. Echo. We never give in. It's not that we don't, we don't wait. We don't, uh, sorry, we don't rush or we don't push. We push in our own way because I will never discount the card. So if you want to discount, please, uh, there is another showroom over there. We are not for discount. We are selling a unique piece. We are selling something that is forever that maybe you will drive and that you will give to your son or you will give to the son of your son. I mean, there are Ferrari around of 50 years ago that are uh, precious like uh, a painting of Picasso. You can see the, all the classic cars that can be sold at 10, 15, 20, 30 million. So that's our thing. We're not pushing because we believe that our car will never be a piece of metal. And so if you want to follow that philosophy, you must be consistent. You know, it's not a state of mind, uh, just to be clear. It's not a state of mind. It's simply a very rational decision because we know very well that the moment you push, you decrease the value of the prion. And so you, 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 you let me say, you trigger a negative, a negative circle that is business-wise not profitable. Yeah, and it hits your brand equity. And then, yeah, it, just, it's, it ruins the exclusivity. It's not a state of yeah. mind because I... I, I oh, of course. I know. According to your demand before, looks like it's a state of mind because no, 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 no. We're not that far. But again, it's, it's, a, it's a very rational decision. It's a business model. Yeah, yeah. And what is your biggest challenge as an Italian leader in, in, in China? Wow, this one, uh, I've been in China for, in Asia in general, for several years. And I think uh, it's a simple thing. It's a very simple thing, but as all the simple things are most probably the most complicated one. My daily challenge is to be sure that together with my managers, we are having the same understanding. We are looking at things with the same glasses. Sometimes uh, you discuss, you have a meeting, you apparently agree, you understand me, I understand you, and you give it for granted. I can tell you, most of the time, it's not like that. We discuss, we have uh, an agreement, you understood A, I understood B, and we are totally convinced that we have the same understanding, but we have not. So my job is most of the time just to be sure, my main challenge, just to be sure that we are having the same understanding, we are on the same page, we understand each other, and we are going to the same direction. And this is true every time you, have, you are dealing with huge cultural differences. I was in the past in charge of Japan, it happened to be to me in charge of Indonesia, and uh, I've been working very um, often with uh, Korea. And, and every Asian country is uh, a bit different from each other, but they all come from the Confucianism. And so they, they're, really, they're really coming from something else. I mean, we, we are coming from uh, uh, the, the Judaic, uh, Greek uh, uh, culture in Europe, and they're coming from the Confucianism, most Chinese. And so you are really putting together two different worlds. And, uh, and that without being too much philosophy, I don't want to, 
to be perceived as, as a philosopher because I'm not. But if you do not 100% aware of this, the risk that uh, you are convinced that everybody understood and in fact uh, nobody understands is a big problem. It could be a huge problem in partnership, in managing, in uh, private life, in all aspects. So the big effort is to be able to have uh, everyone has his own mechanism to be sure that you are always double checking that everyone on the same page. And this is uh, easy to say, very complex to do. But once you do that, you have, uh, I think, uh, in China, the best, uh, absolutely uh, the best uh, uh, people you can find because they're very determined. They're very, you know, eager to accomplish. So it's a hard worker, no spare anything. But assumption is you must have the, the, the personal tool that of course you develop with study, but also with experience on the field, to be able to to to, to have your uh, how to say checking system <laughs> all the time, all the the cockpit must be always on, because if you if you switch off the cockpit and you think okay autopilot, sometimes you crash. Mm-hmm. So. What advice or practical advice would you have for me if I'm a young working professional moving to moving to China, for example, or, or Asia to manage a team? What would you advise me to do? But, you know, uh, Alora, I, I mean, it, it depends, of course. It depends uh, which role of responsibility. It depends if you are a student. It depends if you are a banker. It depends on many things. But if I should give a general comment, I would say that in Asian country, I would say, especially Japan and China, say uh, China is the biggest one, so let's take China as, as a reference. When you come to a, uh, to a civilization like that, I think uh, that for a while, for a long while, you should uh, learn. So you should come in with a level of humbleness that uh, most probably... Even if you don't have, you have to find out inside yourself the humbleness to start all over again. As an experience, I, I have two things that I normally say to my managers. The first is that when you come to China, even if you have a doctor degree, you should behave like you come back to the primary school. So you are a primary school student when you come to China, no matter your background, no matter your age. When you come here, your mindset should be primary school. I'm learning all over again. And then, of course, the industry and, uh, and the business is the same. And, you know, it's, 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 uh, I'm not saying that it's, it's a totally different country in terms of business and the mechanics of business. But from a personal from a, a human point of view, from approach to, the, to your colleague, boss, uh, it depends, to, to the people, is a primary school. And then there is another saying, an old saying between the people that spend many years in, in Asia and have a long experience in China is that, you know, there are, when, always laugh when you see a lot of China experts and then this uh, China, uh, old China hand and this kind of thing. 
because in my personal opinion, but this is something that we share between many experienced colleagues in this area, if you stay six months in China, you think uh, that you know the country. If you spend one year in the country, you think that you are able to write a book. If you stay three years in the country, you shut up because you understand that is so complicated to understand that it's better to continue learning. Mm, yeah, yeah. And what about any advice to young working professionals around business and, 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 and what business means to you, what you've learned about working at companies like Ferrari and Pirelli? Yeah, yeah. I've been working for, for a, a big multinational. Maybe Ferrari in relative term is the smallest company I've worked here. In terms of business, I think that uh, when you approach China, you have to consider China as a continent. So uh, China is a continent. There are, inside China, is, is you know, in, in all Chinese, uh, Han is the name of the country, Hanzu. That means China in Chinese uh, is, is Han. And uh, Han means, uh, is an is a, is a ethnic I mean, it's like Chinese is an ethnicity. It's like you have a country that is Caucasian. So basically, inside China, you have a civilization where you have different countries under the same ethnicity. So, you know, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like you have to, to, to approach China with, uh, I say, of course, humbleness, as I said before, because you are opening a, a totally different box. But... Uh, with, with, with the awareness of uh, being in, not in one single country. I mean, if you go to Guangzhou, they have their business way. If you go to Beijing, they have their business way. If you go to Shanghai, and every, every area has its own, of course they are all Chinese, but they have many different business practices. So first of all, when you arrive, you have to see where you are in China and what, and how do you approach the market in the area where you are not present or where you don't have a stable organization? Because they're very different. To, to a certain extent, maybe the, the most similar country is U.S. I mean, it's, it's not the same thing to be in New York or to be in Minnesota or to be in Los Angeles. I mean, in China, is the same. When you change uh, geography, you change completely the mindset of the people. So... Uh, only the flag is the same. So you, you, you must be extremely careful from a business point of view because the risk is that you, you launch a product, you're doing well, you're doing very well in Shanghai area, and you think, okay, I'm doing good in China. now. you are doing good in Shanghai area. And then you have to, you know, expand your, your market in other cities. And maybe in some city will go well, in other city will go bad because there are different tastes, different business practices a different climate, a different many things. So this is my business suggestion. Uh, be careful because there are many Chinas inside China. So first of thing. And the second thing that is even more important is that when you come to China as a company, sometimes you say, okay, let's go there, have a try. Now, to be honest, this is a bit different. It was more a 10, 15 years ago approach. Now people are the fully awareness of the difficulties and, and of the opportunity as well. Because but you have to 
to face the China story as uh, a big one. So if I am a company, for historical reasons, I'm not in US, and I have to approach the US or the Euro, European Union or whatever, I have to plan carefully because I'm coming to Europe and I have the German, the French, the Italian, they are all different. In China, is the same story. So when you approach, when you approach the country, you have to approach it, keeping in mind all the, all the different uh, uh, cultures inside the country, but also the fact that you are approaching a continent. So financially, you must be strong enough if you attack the whole country. I mean, normally, many people come, again, it was particularly true in the past, but it's still true sometimes, they come with very aggressive business plan, with the, uh, the famous story of, ah, if I sell one product to every Chinese, I will become billionaire. These kind of things. Forget it. That's not China. China is a conglomerate of uh, different uh, countries all together, at least four or five different geographical clusters. So you are approaching a continent. You have to take it extremely serious, est- extremely cautious with humbleness and be aware that you have great opportunities there because actually the people are starting to enjoy life and consuming and everything. But at the same time, at the same time, you must be extremely uh, uh, aware of the fact that if you make the crash, you make it big.